what AMCs have to do is create relationships with community physicians and others to, to avoid that cost problem so that you have places you can shift patients that uh, you might be responsible for financially into a lower cost environment. Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. I'm your host, Shelley Chopra. The series is for healthcare leaders and organizations going through and navigating the journey of value-based care and that very changing landscape of our industry. Our goal in the series is to bring you disruptive success strategies for healthcare organizations, leveraging our experience and having worked with some of industry's top experts and thought leaders. Before we get into today's episode, I would like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episodes and questions that might be top of your mind. In today's episode, my co-host and managing partner of the firm, Dan Marino, will discuss value-based care strategies in academic medical centers. Diving into what are some of the inherent challenges that exist within academic medical centers as they think about shifting to value-based care. What are some of the success drivers for the academic medical centers? What's the burning platform for change? And how do they really get started? And finally, bringing together what are successful academic medical centers doing to drive their successes under value-based care journey. Joining him is John Marin, owner of Hogan Marin Limited and a healthcare lawyer who shares various data-driven approaches and nuances in the academic medical center operations that must be managed and factored into the planning. Quite excited about having our guest today and the topic, so let's get started. Dan, turning to you. Great, thanks, Shelley. John, really happy to have you here with us today. Thanks, Dan. John, as, as, healthcare, as the healthcare market continues to shift into value-based care, and particularly the value-based payment models, we find that there are certain characteristics of academic medical centers that are differentiators from community-based providers. And in some cases, a lot of this is around um, how they approach research, education and teaching is a real big focus and just a lot of the history that really is included within a lot of these academic medical centers. We found that it's, it's really a challenge for them to kind of think about how they need to move into value-based care. In your experience, what have been some of the problems that you've seen that have been holding back some of these academic medical centers from really getting involved in more value-based care initiatives? Well, that's a great question, Dan. I from our perspective, uh, having toiled with this topic with academic medical centers, um, I think there's a number of things that are happening. First of all is the makeup of the academic medical center, as you mentioned before. You've got deans, you've got department heads, you've got faculty, faculty plans. You may even have uh, medical groups that are operated by, in some cases, a university or other academic medical center hospital. Um, so you have a lot of moving parts that you have to get aligned. The other thing is there is kind of a culture, it seems, is sort of like if it, if, it isn't, if, it, if it isn't broken, don't fix it, meaning we're doing fine, we're doing okay, and, you know, we're, we're making money as physicians. And a lot of times the, 
uh, the physicians are in the various different groups that I just mentioned are being subsidized by the health system. And so they, they have a sense of, of ease about their future and the opportunity. The reality though is, as you know, is that there's been a lot of work published over the last few years talking about how deficient many academic medical centers are in terms of their cost structure and even getting down to not having sufficient data to demonstrate quality and efficiency. So the, the reality is, is that there, I think the biggest part is, as you mentioned before, the culture and the fact that you have so many different sort of uh, silos, as it were, uh, throughout a university medical center or an academic medical center. Well, and the cost structure, I think, is an important, is an important point. I'd like to talk a little bit about that for a second. So if you think about the academic medical centers, their costs are higher, but they also take care of higher, complex, more challenging cases. And, you know, it, within population health, that makes sense. Because if you think about it, you know, from the risk pyramid, you have the high risk cohort, which are these really, you know, complex patients. And a lot of times the community providers don't have the resources um, or the capabilities to take care of these patients. So they go to an academic medical center for that level of service. The problem that we see is if you don't have the data that really differentiates the outcomes, the quality of care um, from the services provided by these academic medical centers, they're almost being compared to the, the community-based providers when in fact their cost structures are higher and rightfully so. Is that a lot of what you're seeing? And is that some of the challenges that you're seeing as they start to shift into value-based care? Yeah, I think you're right. The other, the other thing is the, the motivation, though, in part. One of the projects we're involved with involved in involved a very large university medical center and a community hospital, and and this sort of underlines what you're saying in the sense that what what they have to do is to begin to create what what AMCs have to do is create relationships with community physicians and others to, to avoid that cost problem so that you have places you can shift patients that uh, you might be responsible for financially into a lower cost environment. What, what, the, 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 the reason that this university hospital wanted to do this was they were filled with, or oh, had a lot of beds filled with patients that didn't need to be there and the university wasn't, that's not what they were, their target audience. So what they, what they were working on is a triage from their, from their institution over to the local community hospital, setting up a joint venture and putting some quality me measures in place so that they could assure that th that kind of quality was continued to drive, but, but they were keeping their beds open for the higher end things that, that you just mentioned. So but but yeah, that is the problem. The problem is that payers, payers do not want to pay those high cost uh, tickets. So it's it's not really it's 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 trying to find a way to continue to subsidize research through patient care funds, but at the same time um, making yourself still attractive to the market because you have relationships with others who have lower cost situations. Well, then really it comes down to the value proposition for these AMCs and for them to really define what their value is to the market. And I think you bring up a real good point. If 
academic medical centers who really focus on these high um, complex specialty services, let's take cardiology for instance, to be able to align themselves with community providers really helps to best manage all of the populations um, or all the costs and all the services within a set population. So then you have sort of the lower risk patients with cardiolo cardiology services, for instance, going to the community providers, but those that are more complex, the more um, high risk, high cost would be going to the tertiary care providers. And you're able to then collaborate together to really begin to manage patients across that whole continuum. That's, that's absolutely correct. And, and, uh, Again, the other the other motivating factor, and I know we're going to talk about how do you get people, how do you build a vision, but the the other motivating factor should be for me as an, an academic medical center that I need to pre preserve my referral relationships in a legitimate manner with the community through doctors, through primary care folks, through hospitals, and the like. So what the one of the projects we're working on now <clears throat> is aligning 3,000 physicians in the, who are in an IPA with a very large university medical center that has a faculty practice plan. It's got everything. It's got a medical group itself that's primarily made up of specialists. It's got a lot of different things, and it's it's trying to get those two to, to work together to do just what you just said, which is to shift cost and to provide a, uh, a sustainable model for the market. I mean, it's absolutely true. In a lot of the AMCs, I would even venture to say most AMCs, they're more specialty focused. Um, they built a lot of, uh, you know, clinical services around say, you know, the neurosciences, cancer, um, cardiology, orthopedics, that sort of thing. But they're really limited in their primary care base. So to really be able to connect into the market is really important. In your experience, how have AMCs been able to manage through that, to really be able to connect with primary care, to almost protect that referral base as you're talking about? Well, there's, there's ways to do it, meaning what the, 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 the easiest way to do anything like this is to create a clinically integrated program so that the physicians on in the independent physicians in the community and the and the faculty employed otherwise employed physicians at the university are looking at the same kinds of clinical metrics and you're collecting data on that so that everyone's comfortable about the quality and you're building in an efficiency uh, that, you know and, and, and that's the that's the that's the key, but but the reality is is that it takes a certain amount of work to get to that point because there is that still that town and gown kind of sense out there where the where the individuals who are independent physicians don't like the the people who are on the faculty because the faculty has has sort of looked down their noses at them uh, over the past years now. I think some of that's eroding, but I think that's part of the that's part of the attack on the processes. Is I, I would go back to you and say, how how do we approach? How can we approach uh, AMCs in such a manner as to sort of overcome that kind of mentality? The mentality one of 
the fact that, hey, I'm getting paid well now uh, for who worries about the future. And secondly, uh, the, the mentality of the, of the community physician who looks at the faculty physicians as, you know, sort of not friends. Uh, and, and that in the middle of all that is, is a health system administrator who is worried about the future and understands that academic medical centers are taking a beating because payers are starting to say, I, I can do without you. So that's, that would be sort of my question back to you. We really see clinically integrated networks or the ability to be able to clinically integrate across the service line as a mechanism to really create that paradigm shift, right? To break down some of the culture, the inherent culture issues that have been longstanding in the AMCs. But I think more importantly, to really align folks around a common vision. And plus, through a clinically integrated vision, if you will, you're able to incorporate more shared governance where you're able to bring together, you know, community physicians, the uh, deans, if you will, the leaders or presidents of the practice plans, as well as the community hospital leaders to really be able to work together to solve the community-based problems of which all of those areas are essential parts of, of driving a lot of that value and success. That's correct. That's correct. I, I, I would agree with you. And there are even ways to Another example is a uh, invasive cardiology program with open heart surgery in the middle of a state who wants has gets referrals from all uh, all around the air the region so to speak uh, but yet they know at the same time there's a lot of people driving past them to go to the big city uh, university hospital or clinic and and uh, what we're able to do is to create relationships with those hospitals that provides incentives in, into the community as well. So you're making like clinically integrated pods or chapters at each institution and then providing incentives to the physicians to not to refer patients because that's illegal, but rather to participate in quality programs. And then you can help them. Uh, in this case, it was cardiology. So you can help the local community hospitals sort of build a pre-stent program or do some other things or do more screening in the community. And it, it helps them actually increase their revenue and it also increases the health of the community. So it's, it's a win-win um, and create those kinds of networks. But, but you're absolutely right. It takes, you have to have a level of integration around data and around quality metrics in order to pull this off because otherwise you don't, you're not going to be legally compliant and you're not going to accomplish anything as a business. I also think that there's a real need to educate um, AMC leaders. What we've found when we work with a lot of the academics, there's a big differentiator between folks who understand how value-based care can really support and enhance the mission of AMCs versus those have had that, you know, that traditional history of just research and teaching and, and so forth. They don't really understand how they could, you know, basically be the uh, benefactor of value-based care. So what we end up having to do a lot of times is 
sort of educate everybody from the dean to the department chairs to even the academic physicians on really what the value is or what the how value-based care could really enhance what they're trying to do both financially and, and clinically. Do you run up against that a lot of times as you're starting to work with academics? Yeah, absolutely, because, and I've seen it do, done two ways. Uh, one, one in one project, uh, the, the, the system basically ignored the medical school in the front end of the project and really pushed really deep into it, making a lot of decisions about governance and other kinds of things, contracting strategies, et cetera. Uh, and then when they unleashed it on the, on the medical school, the medical faculty, the departments, the deans, uh, they got a lot of pushback. It was a lot, there was a, there was a ton of, of uh, not a, unacceptance and and confusion about what it's all about. The other the other way I saw it done was when the deans were actively involved and the department heads were involved. The department heads went through and developed a, a list of twelve different service lines that could be integrated with the, this other community hospital at a certain degree, with obviously varying in. in in acuity as to what was going going to go to the community hospital. In other words, the heavy heavy duty stuff was going to stay at the university. Uh, but as you mentioned earlier, the, the lower types of cardiology and other problems, gastro and all the other allergies, uh, we're going to we're going to stay we're going to stay at the community. So so I've seen it done two ways, and I would I think I think it makes sense to build the vision, including all the players, uh, probably up front. Uh, but the part of the difficulty is, you know, as you and I have talked before, how do you, how do you get somebody to pay attention enough to get to, to convene a group that could be just, we could where you could do some education about all of this and, and, and the education, as you know, is, isn't just education. But it's addressing fears and it's answering questions. What is this going to do to my reimbursement? What is this going to do to my control over the patient? How is this going to impact our quality? What, what does this mean going forward? Are we going to take risk, financial risk? And, and so you've got to be able to really get the right people in the room and, and not just educate them as to the models and the thoughts and the concepts, um, you know, but also understand the vision and, and answer a lot of questions. Yeah, and I think also guiding them and helping them understand where they need to start. You know, in a lot of academic organizations, they're very large, they're very complex. Um, they have a lot of initiatives, competing initiatives, if you will, that are occurring within their operations within the organization. And in my experience, if you could begin to really focus the organization on where to start, starting small, but you know, large enough so it's impactful. That is a great way to start to build the culture, um, help to create and, and help them understand what the value is of them moving into more value-based care, value-based contracting, that sort of thing. And obviously then you begin to build that education around it. 
what we've often seen is, you know, sometimes when, when organizations have made that shift into value-based care, they try to do everything, try to boil the ocean. And, and frankly, that's where it fails because nothing is aligned, nothing is organized, and they're not able to really see what the true benefits are from all the work that they're putting into it. Well, and, and part of it is, that you, you made, you're making me think here, but, but part of it is that in many institutions, uh, there is still a sort of bricks and mortar approach to uh, my expansion, okay, to my reaching out to the community. Uh, if I'm a large university hospital, I'm going, I've, in the past, I wanted to own uh, the other hospital and ergo the medical staff of that community hospital. Um, and that is an expensive undertaking. And that takes a lot of time. And um, I've seen plenty of, in my 30 years, participated in mergers and system formation where there, there was such, so much focus on governance and finance, that, which you have to, but, but there was, they never got to a, any clinical models where there was you know, an integration of clinical efforts across the area. Across the, across the region or, or from hospital to hospital or campus to campus, that kind of thing. So, so part of it is that, is that you, you sort of have to buy into the concept that the that value-based care is alive and well and that you really do need to be able to demonstrate that you treat diabetics very efficiently and better than most people uh, and, and, and all, for all illnesses. So, so the reality is, and, and the, simp the simple way to do it is to start looking at what are your high cost service areas um, and to begin to integrate around those. And then within those service lines, what, what are the things that we wanna keep and the things we wish we, did, we, wish we didn't have, that kind of stuff. And it's also a creation of a, a certain amount of respect for and need for the independent physicians as well as, um, uh, particularly primary care. So I think that's a, that's another part of the equation. You know, you had me thinking here for a second, there was one organization that um, I know of well, and they did exactly what you, you, you talked about. They started out with cancer. Cancer obviously is, is very costly. Um, they were feeling a lot of pressures from the payers. And frankly, they, they were really, forced to take some, some level of a financial hit because they weren't able to create a level of, of, of differentiation for them within the market. So what they did was they said, okay, well, we, we're going to change our focus. We're going to really focus ourselves as a destination center looking at outcomes, but we need to connect ourselves with the community providers. And that really became their vision as they started to really think about moving from straight fee-for-service into fee-for-value. But they really focused on four areas. They focused on what the governance structure would look like on connecting the academic cancer or oncologist with the community-based oncologist. They focused on education and education really around where that value is, right? What does it mean to the academic departments? And then, you know, conversely, what does it mean to the community-based providers as well? They focused on the structure. And I think to your point, they didn't go out, the academic group did not go out and purchase all these community-based providers. That would have been the easy way to do it, but it would have been the most costly. And frankly, it wouldn't have driven their success. 
So they really started out with a joint venture that allowed folks to really collaborate. But lastly, and number four, was they focused on the data. So they really took a very pragmatic approach as to where to start. And they looked at breast cancer, which was a high driver of cost, but it provided them a great opportunity to track some of their outcomes. And they really started there on looking at um, really an, almost an episode-based platform to really start to contract around. Well, th that, that makes sense. And, and the reality is, uh, this is the sadness for AMCs. The sadness for AMCs is, so you've got Walmart and then plucked down in the middle of, <clears throat> of Arkansas, and you've got a lot of people live in Arkansas working for Walmart and then a lot of other places around the country. And if you need a transplant and you're a Walmart uh, employee, um, there is <clears throat> very strong incentives for you, you to go to the Mayo Clinic. So when you're going from Bentonville, Arkansas to you know, Rochester, Minnesota, you're flying past about 50 academic medical centers that aren't going to get that business. So, so the reality is I've got to begin to, to you know, trim down and focus on value and focus on quality and focus on efficiency. And as I think what you and I are saying today is I don't know that you can do that without, you know, locating with or working with uh, some community hospitals and community providers in an integrated fashion around quality and efficiency. So, so until you do that, you know, you, you know, the, you're the university of Arkansas, you're not going to get any of those patients and, yeah. and the university of Arkansas medical center is terrific. Yeah, it does definitely, definitely need to be a collaborative, collaborative approach. Well, John, this is great. And I think, you know, in summarizing, I think, you know, you brought up some key points. I think one, just overcome, overcoming the culture um, that has inherently existed within academics for years really needs to be something that is a, an important part of the equation. And it's something that, you know, is, is continuous over time. What helps with that, as you brought up, is you really do need to know where to start, but you need to start small, you need to be impactful, you need to be pragmatic around your approach. And third, you have to create a structure of collaboration. And I think one of the big takeaways for me from this conversation is that you can't just do it around the community, the academic setting. You have to be able to engage the community providers and to be able to do that will reap a number of benefits, one of which was you really position the AMC as that, as that destination center. And then I think you know, the, third, the fourth area there is really around the data. You have to understand how you create sure. actionable insights, how you're driving the change, and you're tracking it over time. I agree completely. And the thing I would say is, another question for AMCs is, why aren't you driving healthcare in your community? Um, you you kind of got to get off where you're sitting and, and get out into the street and, and connect with people. And and you brought up a good point about where to start. What you have, if, it, if someone from an AMC hears this, what you need is somebody in a room who's high enough up just to listen to what we talk about and then check off the people that have to come into the room at some other time to hear the same kind of address and have the same kind of discussion because you have to build a team. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, John. Couldn't agree more. Well, thanks, John. I really appreciate this. I think this is a great conversation. 
Thank you so much, John and, and Dan, your insights. This was a really great conversation. And I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in to our episode of Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. We at Lumina are your partners on the journey to value-based care. To learn more about us, visit us on luminahp.com. And if you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and Anchor, and leave us feedback. You can also find additional blogs, thought leadership on this topic, and more, as well as transcript of our podcast episodes on our website, luminahp.com. Join us again next time when I and Dan dive in further into the topic of value-based care strategies for academic medical centers with some of our industry-marked healthcare leaders. We will dive in further into practical strategies, practical approaches on how to activate some of these programs, specifically where rubber meets the road. So quite excited about our next episode as well. Until then, have a great day.